The understage is a maze, a seemingly endless tangle of storage boxes, coils of old rope, joists and crude timber frameworks, all half-concealed in the darkness. It takes the spider precisely 30 seconds to lose her companions. Crater! Sallow! she hisses into the gloom. Where the hell are you? She stumbles over something in the dark with a curse, only just managing to keep her feet. She needs to find the others and get the hell out of this place. Up ahead, there's a soft glow of light, and then Sallow is coming around the corner, Crater, Valerian and Trace emerging from the gloom behind him. Thank the seven, she breathes in relief, reaching out a hand to her companion. Then her brain catches up with what she's seeing, and relief is replaced by terror. Those are not the clothes Sallow was wearing, which can only mean... That's not Trace, she cries out to her companions, desperately backing away. She's unseen. But all four of her companions have moved in close, feral grins upon their faces and blades glinting in their fists. None of them, the spider realises rather too late, are dressed as they were when she last saw them. In a voice that sounds nothing like his own, Sallow speaks. Don't worry, I won't tell if you don't. And the spider stares down in dumb horror as the dagger slides smoothly into her stomach. Hello and welcome to The Lone Adventurer, an actual play solo RPG podcast with me, Carl White. I will be your narrator, your game master, and your guide as we follow our heroes on their journey into the unknown. For this game, I'll be using the Blades in the Dark rule set, as well as a variety of other systems, tools, and tables as they take my fancy. A word of warning, the following scenes may contain mature themes and disturbing imagery. Listener discretion is advised. The adventure continues. Last time on The Lone Adventurer, all hell broke loose in the Opera House. Vampires fought Seekers, Seekers fought the Web, the Web fought the Unseen, and the Demon Satara fought the Blue Coats. The poor, decrepit old building shuddered and groaned at this onslaught, barely hanging together. Taking advantage of the chaos, most of the crew were able to make it through the stage trapdoors, but they know all too well that trouble is hot on their heels. With blade in hand, Trace picks her way carefully through the understage, senses alert for any sign of danger. She navigates by feel, her eyes adjusted to the dark and the small chinks of light filtering between the stage boards. She hears muffled shouting ahead and picks up her pace, sliding carefully around a thick timber pillar, ready for anything but what she sees. There, in a growing pool of blood, lies the spider. Shit! Shit! she snarls, dropping her weapon and falling to her knees, hands fumbling to find and apply pressure to the wound. Spider! Spider! Wake up, damn you! The leader of the web does not respond, though Trace is able to make out a feeble pulse. She's alive, 
that she won't be for long. She is about to call out for help, despite realising the danger it will expose her to, when Valerian nearly trips over them in the dark. Valerian, you clumsy idiot! Trace hisses. Spider's near enough dead already without you kicking her to death. We need Sallow, and we need him fast! Valerian gulps and looks around. Sallow! he calls, then squawks in pain as Trace punches him hard. You cretin! she seethes. Do you think if I wanted to yell for him I couldn't do that myself? Someone just stabbed the spider, which means they're down here with us, and your damn fool yelling has just led them straight to us. So you want me to go and look for Sallow? Valerian says, looking deeply unhappy. Alone? With, with a killer on the loose? I'll kill you myself if you don't get a bloody move on, Trace hisses, fighting to keep her voice down. She's bleeding out, you idiot! We need Sallow! Above them, they can hear heavy boots running across the stage and a muffled voice bellowing. Secure all exits. No one's getting out of here unless we drag them out feet first. Find me a way under this damn stage. Valerian turns reluctantly to leave, only for Sallow and Crater to round the corner. Valerian sags with relief. Sallow takes in the scene in an instant and pushes Trace to one side. Under pressure... The normally flaky Sallow slips into total control as he rummages through a shoulder pouch. Crater, Valerian, make sure whoever did this doesn't catch us napping. Trace, keep pressure applied here. She's unconscious? Good. If she starts to come round, hold her still, understand? In short order, the bony saboteur has cleaned and stitched the wound, applied a dressing, and cracked a vial of some sharp-smelling substance beneath the spider's nose. She blinks awake, then flinches away in panic as she sees Sallow leaning over her, eyes darting desperately from one companion to the next. You're all right, Spider, Sallow reassures her. You've lost a fair bit of blood, but I've stitched you up. You should be able to walk if you take it gently. The Spider shakes her head, calming some, but still clearly shaken. You don't understand, Sallow. The person that stabbed me had your face. There are unseen down here and they can look like any of us. The sound of shouting and splintering wood comes from nearby, and Sallow grabs the spider under one arm. No time for that now. Valerian, help me get her up. We need to get out of here. But it's too late. Before the spider can get to her feet, there's the sound of rapidly approaching boots, and a whole squad of bluecoats come spilling into the narrow tunnel, armed and looking highly hopeful that their quarry are going to consider resisting. Drop your weapons, their leader calls out. You're all under arrest. Before we get into the mechanics of that scene, I want to spend a moment to tell you about a new tool that I've built. I mentioned a while back how I was missing the aspect of Mythic that allowed me to tie key aspects of my story into randomly generated events. In Mythic, Sometimes asking a question triggers a random event, and in these cases, the event focus tells you what aspect of the adventure to turn your attention to, while the event meaning suggests the details. The context of the adventure gives you a background of previous events or themes to draw on, and by combining those three elements, the prompt hopefully makes sense in a way that drives the story forward. The event focus might be something like NPC negative or remote event, or move towards a thread. The event meaning might be something like construct resource or gather hope, randomly generated from the mythic tables. 
Now, as I've mentioned, I've been using the Starforged action and description oracles a fair bit as a replacement for those mythic tables. But as I also mentioned, they don't have a mechanism to tie me back into the existing truths of my story. I get abstract ideas, not specific ones. I was recently suffering from a bout of tonsillitis, which was not the ideal thing for either podcasting or feeling creative. And so because I was feeling uncreative on the writing front, I spent some time tinkering with my supporting toolset. There's one tool that I've never really discussed on this podcast, and it's high time I corrected that. Because this tool is one of the most versatile and customizable of all the tools available to the solo RPG player. I've been using this tool for years on and off, and I'm always learning amazing new things you can do with it. It's a tool I rarely see mentioned, but it really deserves a lot more love. Perchance.org is a platform for creating and sharing random text generators. To create a random generator, you simply create lists which reference other lists. Create as many lists as you like, and away you go. And so I decided to build a random event generator customised for use with the Lone Adventurer. To begin with, I included the two Starforged oracles I'd been using up until now, the Action and Theme oracle, and also the Descriptor and Focus oracle. I had it randomly choose between those two each time it refreshed. But then I remembered that Mythic 2 was out and had its own lovely set of oracles, and so I added those in as well. Now my automated oracle would randomly pick between any of the four on offer. But of course, that wasn't quite enough. More is always better, right? So I revisited the campaign event oracle that I'd worked on a while back and I noticed something that had not really occurred to me before. There are, broadly, two main types of oracle when it comes to creating random events. Firstly, there are those that provide word association-style prompts such as construct resource or gather hope. With those, you free associate between the words you've generated and the current game context. But there is also a second type of oracle the one that Mythic uses for many of its events. This type works off a set of sublists. In the case of Mythic, that's the character list and the thread list. These are far more prescriptive and direct than the free association type of prompts. Now, Mythic limits you to those two sublists, in large part due to the admin overhead of rolling on multiple cascading tables. But what if you had an electronic tool that could randomly choose between multiple data sources, vary the probability of certain response types, and can seamlessly manage multiple sublevels. What if that tool could instantly generate a vast range of possible outcomes that all tie back to the story you're telling? Welcome to the Lone Adventurer Random Event Oracle, courtesy of Perchance. You can find and play with this oracle yourself at https colon forward slash forward slash perchance.org forward slash tla dash random event. That link is in the show notes as well. This tool can do a ton of stuff, and I find it quite a lot of fun just to mess about with, as well as it being a really useful gaming tool. So for any open question or prompt for an event from now on, I'm going to be using this tool. 
Okay, that's a fair bit of chat, and I haven't even started to talk about the scene mechanics. So, really briefly, let's just cover those. To begin with, my scene start oracle gave me a complication, and so I used my new random event generator to find out what that was. The response was struggle freedom, suggesting a faction was down here preventing escape. Well, it turned out that that faction was the Unseen, who were impersonating a party member. The spider took a study action to see through the disguise, which was a success, but as a follow-up action, I asked if the Unseen had allies, and got exceptional yes. Next, Trace hunted for spider, and ended up losing something important. Well, that something turned out to be the spider. That was followed up with action rolls from Valerian and Sallow, which both went pretty well, but then I asked my new auto-oracle a follow-up question. What else was going on? The answer was, verbatim, as follows. The event relates to a trouble, heat. If required, here's a Mythic 2 action and theme, Inquire Interior. And here is a Starforged descriptor and focus, Active Connection. Well, that seemed pretty clear to me. The Bluecoats were closing in. Time to see what the web are going to do about that. After this. Hi, I'm Steve Morrison, and I've combined my love of writing fiction and tabletop gaming into a solo actual play series called Errant Adventures. Join me as I explore different stories in different genres using a variety of my favorite tabletop role-playing games. If you enjoy space adventure, check out Season 1, Tarquin, which follows the adventures of a young herald running from family drama. Or check out the new Season 3, Cry Havoc, and follow Mender Alexis Wolf as she tries to help the people of Skoroko Station. If fantasy's more your jam, check out Season 2, Talon and Crest, where members of the Crest Mercenary Company try to make their way in the city of Heartvale. I've also got shorter runs of stories covering a range of genres and games. Whether a long-form campaign or a short series, Errant Adventures features stories told at the speed of dice. So join me on the podcatcher of your choice as I discover where the story goes next. Finally, Crater grins, someone I can punch. And with a roar, he charges the entire squad of startled bluecoats single-handed. He crunches into their front line with sickening force, knocking three of them flat, butting a fourth in the nose and seizing a fifth in his meaty fists. He is a one-man wrecking crew, ploughing through the blue coat ranks. These confined conditions are in his favour, but even with his prodigious strength, it is surely only a matter of time before sheer weight of numbers take their toll. Someone help him! Valerian calls out, somewhat pointlessly. There is no space to pass him, and no safe shot to make that doesn't risk hitting their companion. Not that Valerian is paying attention anymore. Instead, he is watching the dissipating cloud his breath has just made in amusement. Is it just me? he asks. Or did it suddenly just get a lot colder in here? Elsewhere, Tatters has had problems of her own. With no friends in sight and a horde of angry blues closing in on the tank upon which she'd stood, there had been only one option open to her. Though, with her recent exertions, she'd had no idea if she possessed the arcane reserves to pull it off. She'd closed her eyes, summoned every last fragment of her will, and torn open a bubble around her into the demon dimensions. She'd stepped through, and now 
Here she stands outside the opera house, with the severed limbs of any of those blues unfortunate enough to have been partially in her blast radius when she ported. A positive turn of events for her, if not for the bluecoats, one might have thought, were it not for the sight that greets her. She had wondered idly, whilst standing on that tank, where all the vampires of the Undying disappeared to. There had been barely a sniff of them throughout the battle. Now she regrets the asking. Never pose a question you don't want the answer to, her academy tutor had always said, and here was an answer that proved his point in spades. He always was an insufferably smug bastard, she reflects. The exterior of the building is crawling with vampires, sliding and scuttling over its glittering icy surface like pale-skinned cockroaches. Surrounding the building are scores of brass-masked cultists of the Great Machine, wrapped in furs and huddled in groups of twos or threes, each team gathered about a curious tripod-mounted tube that belches a constant stream of icy cold up towards the opera house. Wherever a stream hits a vampire, it is frozen solid in an instant. And suspended above all of them, connected by frost-covered tubes to each of the ice cannons, floats a machine cultist wearing the elaborately decorated robes of a high priest. One fist, encased in ice, is extended towards the building and a localised snowstorm whirls about him. And belatedly, Tatters dearly wishes she'd taken her chances indoors with the bluecoats. Indoors, with the bluecoats, Valerian is dearly wishing he was anywhere else but here. Despite Crater's best efforts, the blues are pushing him back, landing blow after blow on the big man with their truncheons and their brass knuckles. He can't hold out much longer, and when he falls, the rest of them are sure to fall with him. Sallow, however, has other ideas. Crater! Drop and cover, he yells, and as Crater hits the deck, the saboteur hurls a vial that shatters over the heads of the blues. They are showered in a sticky liquid that first begins to smoke, then spark, and then bursts into white-hot flame. Crater scrambles back as the blues begin to shriek and flail, beating desperately at the flames, but succeeding only in spreading them to their hands and arms. They stumble blindly into one another, spreading the merciless fire still further. And... Just like that, the dry timbers of the understage are wildly ablaze. Out of the frying pan. Once again, things are starting to look a bit sticky for our plucky band. They continue to remain one half-step ahead of utter ruin, but it is starting to get awfully close, and reserves of stress are starting to thin out. Here's how that scene unfolded. We started with a success with consequence on Crater's skirmish roll. Normally, charging into a full pack of enemies like that would be damn near suicidal, and would reduce the effect to limited or even nothing. But Crater has the not-to-be-trifled-with special ability, which allows him to push to engage with a small group on equal footing in close combat. Go Crater! His consequence, though, suggested that this couldn't last the crew would need to think of something else. Then, because we'd had an action from everyone else, and because I was quite keen to see what was going on elsewhere, I decided to switch attention to Tatters, but not before asking my oracle bot what the Undying were up to. They'd been all but invisible in this battle, and I felt like finding out why. The answer, courtesy of a Starforged descriptor and focus, was Frozen Home. 
Well, given the freezing of the Dominarium we saw back in Chapter 16, that connection wrote itself. The Ring of Winter was back in play. I asked the Oracle if the ring was in the hands of the cult, and sure enough, yes it was. Welcome back, voice of the machine. The Iceman cometh. Which meant that when Tatters made her a tune roll to teleport herself out of danger, she had quite the spectacle waiting for her. The new faction was added to my set of progress clocks, and both the cult and the undying took a tick towards destruction. Back indoors, Sallow made a pushed and partially successful wreck roll, using a bandolier slot for the fire oil listed on his sheet, and lo and behold, the four-segment clock I'd created for my blue coat squad was filled. I ruled that that moved the overall blue coat clock along by two more segments, up to four out of eight. Sallow's consequence for that action was twofold. First, things were going to take longer as the team had to find an alternative exit. And secondly, I filled in two segments on a new danger clock. The building was burning down. Because obviously we are woefully short on deadly perils at the moment. I've asked the Oracle Atron a couple of questions now, and you may have noticed the form of the answers have varied a bit. A couple have been simple action theme responses, sourced from Mythic or Starforged. But the other was much more complex. It related to a story-specific type of trouble, and then, in addition, provided a supporting action and theme, as well as a descriptor and focus. That unpredictability of response type is what I love about this tool. I've built it so that most of the time it provides just a two-word action or description-style response, but sometimes it instead queries a different table, the CEO table, and that is when things get interesting. That table includes a whole range of options. A theme, a situation, an item, a trouble, a faction, a connection, a location, the offer of a devil's bargain, or any of the standard mythic event options. Things like a remote event, an ambiguous event, moving closer to or further from a plot thread, or a new NPC, complete with canoe personality profile. And, on very rare occasions, even a minor or major plot twist. And for many of those options, populated subtables exist, all of which can be updated as the story progresses, meaning that my prescriptive oracle prompts remain relevant and wildly varied. It's a pretty cool tool, and a piece of easily customised tech that I heartily recommend for anyone interested in taking a step beyond the traditional dice and paper list approach. Right, enough tech talk. Back to the action. Seriously, Sallow? Trace grimaces, coughing as the fire and smoke begin to spread through the understage passageways. Fire oil? You do know this place is basically just a huge pile of bone-dry tinder, right? Sallow shrugs. Figured it was either that or watch Crater get beaten to death, and then us. Leastways this ways we last a little longer. The spider, grimacing with pain, points towards the fire. I can't argue with the sentiment. Just a shame that was our way out. I think there may be another exit, but we're going to need to move quickly if we want to avoid burning or choking to death. She nods in the opposite direction. This way. Help me. With Valerian and Sallow supporting the spider, the crew head away from the flames, desperately searching for some way out of this smoke-filled labyrinth. But there is a growing sense felt by all of them 
that their luck is running thin. All of them are way off their best, the spider badly hurt, Crater carrying no shortage of bruises and cuts, and the rest of them exhausted, scared, and half-choking. If they don't get out soon, it's going to be too late. And then, smiling, an unharmed Crater steps out of the passageway ahead of them, blocking it. He is closely followed by facsimiles of Sallow, Trace, and Valerian, each of them armed. Reckon it's the end of the line for you, he grins, in a voice bearing no resemblance to Craters. His eyebrow raises in surprise as he spots the injured spider and says, I'm impressed you've made it this far, but here is where it ends. Just one question you need to answer, really. Do you want it fast, or do you want it slow? There is a long pause, during which everyone squares off, picking their opponents, readying themselves for the brutal bloodbath that is sure to come. Everyone, that is, except Valerian. Valerian would freely admit to being a lover rather than a fighter. Hell, he'd freely admit to being pretty much anything if it got him out of a fight. He has spent a lifetime practising the fine art of avoiding getting hit, and he has no intention of abandoning that path now. Rather than sizing up the shapeshifters, his attention is entirely on their surroundings, hunting for something, anything, that can tip the balance in their favour. It's a good idea on the face of it. The Unseen have not appreciated that they are standing beneath a series of pulleys, counterweights and cranks, all those taut ropes held in place by a single wooden peg. Probably the workings of the huge stage curtain, unless Valerian misses his guess, all it takes is a single sharp kick to dislodge it, and their enemies are thrown into disarray as loose coils of rope about their feet are suddenly drawn upwards, catching the hapless unseen in their grasp and drawing them howling into the large wooden gears. In one quick and clever move, three of the shapeshifters are grievously injured and hopelessly tangled, the remaining one left looking a damn sight less cocky as he faces them alone. There is just one problem with Valerian's plan. The condemned Opera House, already teetering on the verge of collapse following the destruction of its domed roof, one wall, a huge balcony and a number of central supporting pillars, just cannot take it anymore. The combination of the icy external assault and the sudden uncontrolled dropping of the fire curtain onto the stage proved the final straw. First, with a tortured shriek of metal, the gantry above the stage gives way and comes crashing down. Next. Almost in slow motion, the supporting stone walls about the stage begin to sag ominously, gilded and painted plaster shearing away. As one, the walls collapse in a deluge of dust and masonry, tons upon tons of cut stone slamming down into the shattered remnants of the stage. Like a vast series of dominoes, wall after wall collapses inwards and comes smashing down, burying the vast auditorium beneath a colossal cairn of brick and stone. As the echoes die away, all grows still and silent, save for the column of dust that rises over the ruins like the grave marker over a giant tomb. And the battle is over. Well, that was pretty brutal. With so many sources of danger in that battle, there was always the risk of a catastrophic end for all concerned, and so it transpired. How did we get here? Well, 
as it turns out, extremely easily. All it took, in fact, was a single action roll. Let me explain. After Sallow's action, I asked my mythic question. This was the mechanism I'd added to this particular battle to make things more deadly and chaotic, and, sure enough, this instance threw plenty of both into the mix. I asked if the Unseen stuck their oar in, and sure enough, up they popped. That gave Valerian the opportunity to do something clever, a finesse action roll against a desperate position to help the party pass this obstacle. He got a success, but with a consequence. That marked off two more ticks against the Unseen, leaving their clerk at six out of eight. Pretty good progress. The problem was the consequence. I rolled and got Mark a Clock Segment. I had two danger clocks in flight, so I rolled to see which one advanced, and lo and behold, it was building collapses. And not only did that clock advance, it completed. Kaboom. Now, I could have resisted here to prevent that consequence, potentially at the cost of a bit of stress. But I decided not to, and for a very simple reason. This was an extremely satisfying way of finishing the battle, the episode, and the series. Yes, you heard me correctly. Not satisfied with ending the last series with Mina stuck in a will-she-won't-she Schrodinger's bride state at the altar, we're now going to be ending this series in a similar manner. Have our heroes been crushed to death? Can they somehow have survived? We're just going to have to wait and see. And we're going to have to wait longer than just for the next episode. Because, true to form, in addition to switching up the game system for Series 3, we're going to be shifting the protagonist again. For the time being, the fate of the scoundrels of the web is going to have to remain uncertain. As usual, for the start of a new series, the next episode will be a Session Zero, where I'll give some final thoughts and lessons learned on Season 2, and then talk a bit about the game system and the protagonist that I plan to use for Season 3. So, thank you sincerely, for joining me on this wild and crazy ride, from prison breaks to flying casino heists to dungeon delves into the heart of the great machine, from zombie weddings on fire to exploding and flooding warehouses, and finally to our no-holds-barred five- and then six-way deathmatch, this season really has been quite the trip. I hope you've enjoyed it at least half as much as I have. Until next time. been listening to The Lone Adventurer, a solo RPG podcast played, written, and performed by me, Carl White. If you've enjoyed this episode, please consider telling your friends about it or leaving a five-star review wherever you get your podcasts. It really is a huge help. You can find me on Twitter at TheLoneADV. You can email me at TheLoneADV at gmail.com or follow my blog at carlillustration.wordpress.com You can find show notes for this episode and all the others at theloneadventurer.podbean.com where I include any links mentioned in the episode as well as mechanics information. I also include a link to a full episode transcript. The story will continue in the next episode of The Lone Adventurer. Thank you for listening.